Necessity is the mother of innovation. In other words, if you don't think, out, you don't think outside the box unless you're forced to. If you have the coolest gadget in the world, yet people don't have or understand their need for it, no one will care, no matter how cool it is, how important it is, or even how life-saving it is. However, if there is a genuine need and you have something to meet that need, then you're about to get real busy. That was true for Johnny Georges. Johnny worked with his father in the tree irrigation business. One night, while piling dirt up against the base of a tree to protect it from frost, Johnny groaned to his father saying, there has to be an easier way. So his father went to work and developed a simple cone that you could put around the base of a tree every night that it, would have to, that it was going to freeze. And it worked. Johnny later improvised that idea by designing a longer-lasting design that wouldn't need to be installed nightly and also provided a more direct way of irrigating that tree. Not only did it save time, it saved energy, it saved money, it saved water, and it saved trees. They developed a product to meet a need, and just like that, the tree TP was born. In 2013, Johnny pitched his idea to a group of investors on Shark Tank. One investor was shocked that he didn't market his product for more. Johnny was just as shocked when the investor recommended a 300 or 400% increase on sales price. Johnny was more concerned about the farmer's welfare than about lining his own pockets. Wouldn't that be nice, farmers, if there were more people like Johnny in this world? He was content with his reasonable and fair profit. It's not every day that you run into someone like a Johnny who cares more about you than lining his own pockets. When you come across someone like that, you wonder, what's the catch? This sounds too good to be true. And more often than not, it is too good to be true. But even Johnny, though, has a vested interest in getting you to buy his product. He still makes a profit, small as it is. Have you ever come across someone, though, who met a need of yours with absolutely no strings attached? What's it like to have someone put your needs before their own? It's a failure of a business model, that's for sure, because there's no profit in it, and it doesn't work. And yet that's exactly how it works in Isaiah 55. I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 11, as I read the God's Word for us here this morning. And I invite you to stand out of respect for God's Word. Isaiah 55, reading verses 1 through 11. Again, reading in Jesus' name. Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. According to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Father God, these are your words and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been to a grocery store that offers you free samples? They usually have a nice little setup, someone to prepare the samples and then display so conveniently for you the product that's on sale just this day for you, for $9.99. You can walk out of here with a whole box of whatever it is you just ate. As a kid, I loved those stores. Free samples are wonderful things for kids. It's like Christmas in a grocery store. But as parents with kids, free samples get to be a little more complicated. Because the thing about those samples, as tasty as they are, is it's never enough. It never fills you up. They leave you wanting more. And so, as a good kid, you pester your parents to try to get them to buy you whatever it is that's being sold. And this is where it gets a little more complicated for parents. The picture portrayed here in Isaiah is somewhat similar to free samples at a grocery store. It's like the idea of an employee handing out free samples, only it's a lot more aggressive and a lot more in your face, and it needs to be. In Isaiah's day, they didn't have grocery stores like we have. They were marketplaces, crowded marketplaces, where people would come and bring their goods and try to sell their goods to everyone walking by. People were busy buying and selling, giving their sales pitches and explaining why their apples are better than the apples across the street. So come and buy my product instead. And piercing through the commotion is the voice of one not trying to sell his goods, but rather give them away. Ho! Everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk and money without cost. Not without cost. But shouting from the rooftops, without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. The offer is too good to be true. You never leave a store with more than what you went in there with, no matter how good the rewards are for the credit card that they're trying to sell you, or the money you saved by spending money today. You still spent money. Did you really save anything? And the words come again. You, without money, come, buy and eat. Is this a government program? Is it a pay-it-later scheme? Are the goods expired and not really worth keeping another day? No, this is different. It's none of those things. And it's more than a free sample because this satisfies. Satisfaction. That's the thing that we chase after only to watch it slip through like a wet bar of soap through our hands the moment we feel like we've grabbed a hold of it. We search for satisfaction in so many different places, in relationships, in our works or our jobs, in our hobbies, 
And the dirty little secret that not many of us would like to admit today in the presence of other believers in our sin. We seek for satisfaction in all of these places. But none of these can satisfy like the Lord's handouts. He asks in verse 2, Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Why do we spend so much time, money, and effort on things that cannot satisfy us? When will we learn that these things are all just chasing after the wind? The Lord proposes another way. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. The Lord has something to say. And so He says, listen to me. He describes it as eating something good. Eating something good. Eating the Word, eating the word of the Lord is something good. God has something good for you today. This idea isn't only found in Isaiah. The psalmist writes, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jesus too offered a woman living water. Water from which after drinking she will never thirst again. And to the crowds in John chapter 6, Jesus offers to Himself His flesh, which He says is true food. And His blood is true drink. Jesus has what our souls need. Jesus is what our souls need. Jesus gives life. So delight yourself in abundance, the Lord says. Not only is Christ enough, but He is more than enough. Jesus doesn't just offer life. He offers eternal life. He offers abundant life. As the Lord calls out to delight yourself in abundance, what He is saying here is delight yourself in Christ, in whom we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that God has to give. Jesus is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we all ask or think. What is this abundance that we are called to delight ourselves in? In order to find that answer, you look back at the previous two chapters in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 is a pretty recognizable chapter for us. These two chapters, this good thing that we are to delight in isn't as elegant as a shiny new car freshly waxed and freshly washed, but it glistens. Well, this glistening is with sweat and blood and tears. It's the Messiah bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. Christ being crushed for our sins the sacrificial lamb taking away the world's sin and being slaughtered. Jesus making satisfaction on our behalf. This is what Isaiah 53 is speaking of. And God does it for you abundantly, not only just for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world and every sin. So that there is nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for you to buy. There's nothing left for you to accomplish. It is finished. Christ has removed your sin from you. And the abundance continues in Isaiah 54. I will gather you with great compassion. I will have compassion on you. My loving kindness will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken. I will protect you and watch over you. Jesus gives to us a new covenant, a covenant in His blood, a covenant that will not be shaken, a covenant of peace that He will not remove. He will be gracious and compassionate toward you. 
Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been reconciled to God. And these are wonderful gifts that we read about in Isaiah 53 and 54. But they remain just distant gifts. Something we read about in history. And these goods that we are called to delight ourselves in must be made known to us. Or else we'll continue to spend our resources on what doesn't satisfy. So we need to know where they are. And we need to know how these gifts and how these goods come to us. I want to taste it. I want to drink it. How, Lord, can I do that? Somehow we need to receive them. It isn't good enough to know that they exist. For example, what good does it do you to know that there is a cure for cancer in Paraguay? It doesn't do you a whole lot of good here, does it? And if you don't have cancer or you don't know someone who has cancer, then you don't really have a need for this cure. And so you don't plan a trip to Paraguay because it doesn't bother you. The knowledge does you nothing unless it comes to you and unless you have a need for it. In a similar way, the fact that Jesus has taken the world's sin away doesn't do us a whole lot of good unless that forgiveness comes to us. Until we see that Jesus removed not just the world's sin, but including the world's sin, is our sin. And in seeing that my sin needs to be removed, then all of a sudden I thirst. When I recognize that I have sin, then I have a need. It doesn't do us a whole lot of good, though, to know that there is a God who has everlasting loving kindness and compassion until I know that this God is a God who forgives sin. This God is a God who has dealt with my sin, who has met my need. How could we ever know that, though? How could we ever receive that? You don't find it at a grocery store. You don't find it in a marketplace. What does Isaiah say? Incline your ear to me, says the Lord. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the faithful mercies shown to David. The source of this is coming from the very lips and hand of God Himself to you. The Word of the Lord comes to us. The Spirit of God calls out to us through His Word, revealing our need. We keep chasing after things that can never satisfy and that leave us thirsting for more. We seek out other gods whom we think have more to offer us, whom we think are able to satisfy our deepest longings and desires, whatever form those gods might take. And yet they only leave us more parched than before. Everyone who thirsts, come. The Spirit exposes our poverty. We reveal that, as it's made known to us, that we are full of sin. We're chasing after gods that can't satisfy. Gods are found in relationships, and money, wealth, and status, and so often in chasing after sin, thinking that sin this time. I know before in the past it hasn't fooled me, it hasn't satisfied, but this time it will satisfy. And we leave the God of satisfaction for empty gods, for empty cisterns that can hold no water. It's not just an issue of not having the right currency, though. We're bankrupt. And the monopoly money of our good deeds and intentions are utterly worthless. And not just utterly worthless, but a slap in the face and offensive, abhorrent, and repulsive. 
is this picture that God gives our good deeds before Him, thinking that by somehow we can merit God's favor or earn His grace. We can't buy what will satisfy us. But the Spirit tells us that satisfaction has already been purchased on our behalf by something far more valuable than silver or gold or by our own good deeds. It's been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus, which He hands out for free, freely, through His Word. And as we hear that, our deadened souls begin to perk up with the promise that there is satisfaction, that there is life, there is mercy, there is a God, and not just some generic God, but a God who is the Lord, a God who delivers and sustains the Holy One of Israel, your God. We have a God who has made satisfaction on our behalf, who offers to you satisfaction. Jesus offers to you this gift solely for the sake of your soul. What benefit does God derive from an everlasting covenant with you and with me? There's a book written by a Swedish man who talks about someone giving his heart to the Lord. The pastor comes up to him and says, you think that's such a good gift? Let me tell you what that's like. Jesus is walking with a stick and he comes across this pile of trash and he puts his stick down and there through a rusty old can is your heart. He picks it up and he makes it new. What good does that rusty old can do for Jesus? It's nothing. It's waste. It's trash. But God reaches down, picks it up, and makes it new. We have nothing to offer God. Who are we to think we are so good that if God had us on his team, the world would be changed? We are sinners in need of redemption first and foremost. What does Christ have to gain by emptying himself and being made in the likeness of men? What does Jesus have to gain by humbling himself to be a servant, to go through all of those humiliating things that you and I went through when we were kids, that you and I still go through on a daily basis because we aren't perfect and we don't know everything? What did Jesus have to gain humbling himself all the way to the point of crucifixion? He literally already had the world and so much more. And yet he empties himself of everything to become a curse for you and for me. Paul explains for us why he did this in Philippians chapter 2 as he encourages us not to look out for our own, to do things out of our own selfishness and empty conceits, but with humility of mind regard ourselves as more important than our, yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then explains what Christ has done on your behalf. Christ did this for your interest. He did it to reconcile you to God. He did it that you may have life and be satisfied. He did it that you would be glorified, as the text says here in Isaiah. That's what lies behind this desperate cry. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to these waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Have the product that you need. And the product after which you will need nothing else. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. Come, taste and see what the Lord has done for you. Come, experience life anew. Experience my faithful mercy. Word of the Lord comes 
to you today, offering to you promises of satisfaction and not empty promises either, offering life and forgiveness, everlasting kindness and compassion. There is no catch. There is no gimmick. There isn't a better offer to be found somewhere else. There is no bait and switch. Christ calls to you, come. The prophet encourages us to see the urgency behind these words. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near, Isaiah implores. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. They don't satisfy you. And let him return to the Lord and He will have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. God's Word has come to you. And though the free forgiveness of sins doesn't expire, we do. And we don't know when that day or that time may come. Isaiah begs his hearers to turn from their sinful ways, to return to the Lord, and reminds us of God's promise that He will have compassion and He will abundantly pardon. It's as if the Lord knows our hearts and can hear us already qualifying ourselves from this promise, explaining why it can't apply to us. He speaks in verses 8 and 9. My thoughts aren't your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Whatever hindrances are stopping you from coming and receiving this free gift, Jesus says there is nothing else that needs to be done. You don't have to be sorry enough. You don't have to get your entire life in order first before you come and receive this satisfaction. You don't have to be worthy enough. I've done all of that for you. My ways are not your ways. So quit coming up with excuses. And come. You have nothing. I see it. I know it. Which is why I'm offering this free of charge. Come. This unconditional promise of grace and forgiveness is for you. No matter what you have done, no matter how awful you've been, no matter how many times you've turned your back looking for satisfaction to different things, things they can't satisfy. And even if you still insist on someday making it up to the Lord, the promise of compassion and abundant pardon is for you today. Delight yourself in the abundant pardon that Christ has accomplished for you. The final two verses of our text remind us once again where this gift is to be found and how this gift comes to us. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word has gone forth. It's been sent to you today. And he says, come. What does the Lord desire to do with that word? To give you life and abundant pardon to forgive your sins and to call you to Himself. It's been sent to you today that you would know the love of God, that you would be called away from the pursuit of satisfaction from all these other gods that you are chasing after and to experience and receive the satisfaction that the Lord and only the Lord 
can give to you. Christ has won for you. And He has for you. Do you long to be satisfied? Are you thirsty? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Do you recognize your need and your own poverty? You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. And delight yourself in God's abundance.